This week is the week we've been waiting for, right? In three short days, Christmas will be here. And then just as quickly as it came, it will go. <laughs> Whether we celebrated the past two weeks or the past three months, something will be different. Um, something happens when you plan for something and anticipation builds and an event happens there's something that goes along with that, that there's always sort of a sense of letdown that happens. Um, Carrie and I always try to plan our vacations, and we make all these plans, and we think they're just going to be so wonderful, and they're so great, and we leave vacation, and we go, that wasn't anything like I thought it was going to be. We planned, we anticipated, we built it up until we got there, and then something how it fell short. And so often, I'm afraid, we, we find ourselves that way at Christmas time. We plan for Christmas, we buy the perfect gift, we put the parties together, we do all the things that we're going to do, and then the brevity of the holiday can sometimes rob us of the joy that we have on the holiday. It's one of the reasons why my family celebrates Christmas for three months, you know. Um, y'all know that when we got here, y'all don't know when we got, when we got here, the tree went up the day we got here, you know. When you guys left our house from lo unloading the boxes, the first box we opened basically was the Christmas tree. It went up in the corner of our room, um, we, we take that time to prepare ourselves for, for who Jesus is in our lives and the fact that he spent so long planning to We celebrate that. What happened at Christmas for me, though, is it begins to ask the question, what do we do after Christmas? Uh, you know, there, there are all sorts of traditions, and if you look back to the old traditions, you're supposed to wait 10 days. The 12 days of Christmas, you know, actually don't start before Christmas. They start on Christmas Day. They're the 12 days following Christmas. Um, you have the tradition in, in the traditional uh, churches of the wise men coming on Epiphany, which comes after Christmas. But what do we do after Christmas? What is it that we should do in our lives um, after Christmas when it's over? And for me, I believe the answer is found in the Christmas story itself, or should I say the end of the Christmas story. So this morning we're going to read again Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. And there we find this end passage of the Christmas story of, of what we know as the Christmas narrative. And it says, When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time this morning and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel, may the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you this morning for loving us. We thank you for coming so long ago and being that greatest gift father we ask that you would show us this morning what you want us to do when christmas is over father we thank you and we praise you and we ask all these things in the name of your son jesus and for his sake and all god's people said amen the truth of the matter is where we picked up today the birth had already happened <laughs> this was after christmas technically for for the shepherds and in this short passage 
I found five things believers should do as the Christmas season ends. And the first one is, believers should seek Him. That's what the first thing it says. When the angels had left and returned to heaven, they said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and they found Him. They didn't, they didn't stop. They didn't say, let's wait. They went to seek Him. We should seek Jesus with urgency in our lives. When we leave the Christmas season behind, where all this focus has been on his birth, we should not quit seeking him. We should not quit examining him and looking for him. We should ask for him to be a greater part in our lives. We should look for our will, his will in our life, his blessings in our life. We should look for the one who fills our soul like none other. We should seek him not just at Christmas, but every day. Too often what happens is we find people who seek Jesus, who come to know Jesus, and then they walk away and never come back and, never, and they quit seeking. When we quit seeking Jesus, our faith quits growing. When we quit seeking Jesus, we quit learning new things. We quit doing the things that God would have us to do. When we are looking for those things that God wants us to do, when we are seeking to be a part of Him and Him to be a part of us, our life begins to change. When Carrie and I got married, we were two completely different people. And... She's not here this morning, so I can say, she's a Yankee. Um, her family all came from up north. They really did. Um, and those differences are very stark when you see us and our families. And when we got together, they were really stark. Um, the first thing her family said about me was, well, he's just so country. Um, the first date we ever went on, I was going to cook her a meal, and we went to the store, and I started buying my ingredients. She said, well, you have to get this, too, because my dad always makes it that way. I'm not your daddy. This is how I'm going to make it. And we argued and argued, and we didn't go on that date. I took her home. I was like, nope, this is never going to work. But as we got married, and we began to seek each other's hearts, we began to change how we saw each other. We began to find that common ground and the, the love that we had and the seeking of each other's heart changed each of us. And there are things about us today that are different because we have put the time in to seek one another. And when we begin to seek Jesus and when we look at Jesus in our lives and when we seek him in our daily life, we begin to change who we are. Who we are becomes different because we begin to see that Jesus would want something different from us and for us. And so the first thing this passage tells us to do is to seek him, to find him where he's at and to bring him into us. But the second thing that we find to do is to proclaim him. Believers should proclaim him. Now think about this. What were the shepherds proclaiming? The message they had been given. I find this amazing because this is the beginning of the gospel account. They didn't know any of Mary's backstory. These were shepherds. They weren't, they weren't prophets. They weren't given special words to know that this was a virgin birth. They didn't know any of these things. They simply know that they were told by the angels that a baby was born who will be the Messiah. That's all they know. They hadn't witnessed miracles. They, they hadn't had great teachings. They had seen a baby and got a message from angels. That's it. That was the message they knew. That's what had been told to them. This was the message they were proclaiming, the message they heard. A Savior is born. That's it. They didn't know what that meant. 
They didn't know how that would look. All they knew was that there was a baby who was somehow going to save them from the things they were going through. They didn't have a fully formed message. They didn't have a doctrine. They, they hadn't sat down and, and wrote a, a, a good theology book. They hadn't read all the greats. They didn't know any of those things. They knew one thing. There was a baby who was lying in a manger who the angels said would be a savior. That's all they knew. How much more should we proclaim the fullness of the message that we've received? So often we let our inexperience be our excuse, right? We say, oh, I would say that to somebody, so, so I don't. Uh, I, I, I couldn't knock on their door and, and, and tell them about Jesus. There's a man that I didn't get along with a lot. Um, he's a pastor. Maybe that's why I didn't get along with him. I don't know. Pastors are hard to get along with. But he, he was the most amazing evangelistic witnesser I had ever met. He, he served a small church in Brownwood. And what is the most awkward place you can think of to talk with somebody? The bathroom. That's one example. Elevators. What do we do when we get in elevators usually? We get in, we ride up and down, but do you talk to the people? No, you stand there and you, what floor, and you push the number and you stand there silently. This man would get into the elevator, ask what floor. He would push the button, and as the doors closed, he would turn to the person next to him and say, do you know my Jesus? The boldness with which he expressed the truth that he knew always blew me away. But so often I see those of us who use our inexperience as an excuse not to proclaim him. Or we use what people are going to think about me as an excuse not to proclaim him. These were shepherds. They were like, we're going to tell everybody what we saw. The angels appeared. There was a baby. They told us there was going to be a baby. He's going to be the Savior. I don't know what that means, but it's exciting. And we're going to share it and we're going to proclaim it. We had the full revelation of God. We know exactly what it is. Why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we shouting from the rooftops that Jesus is Lord? Why aren't we telling everybody we see that 2,000 years ago, two millennia ago, a baby was born that is going to be the Savior of the world? He's there. He's here. He came and he lived. We have to be willing to proclaim who he is. Because if we don't proclaim him to a fallen world, they'll never hear him. Now, Proclaiming him really doesn't just mean we're going to shout it to him. It just means we tell everybody about it. We tell them about those stories. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't call us to have a full theology to share with somebody. He never tells you to share anything that you don't know. He didn't tell the shepherds to go and tell people about baptism and about regeneration or anything. He said, go and tell them about a baby. A baby that was born. That's it. That's all you got to do is tell them about the baby. We need to seek him and proclaim him, but believers should also be amazed by him. They went and told, and everyone who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to him. When's the last time you took the time to simply be amazed by Jesus? We live in a busy, busy, busy world. The alarm goes off and 
we either get up or we hit the snooze button, right? And we lay there. I don't want to get up. We have two choices. Oh, Lord, it's morning or good morning, Lord. I mean, those are the two choices we have when the alarm goes off, right? But the world moves at a fast pace. You turn on the TV and you watch the news. You can go around the world in 30 seconds, right? That's some of those things. When's the last time you just stopped to be amazed by Jesus? Amazed by his story. Amazed by his message. Amazed that the creator God who existed in the beginning, the one through whom all things were created, the one who, who is the essence of all things, would give up his throne to walk on this earth as a man to die a horrific death and to rise again to offer us salvation. Amazed by His works, as the Gospel of John would call it, the signs. Do you ever stop to think about the miracles? <laughs> when Jesus fed the, the 5,000, what did that look like? That amazes me. As I sit around and think, he had a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread and 35,000 people. I mean, when you count women, women, and children. And he turns to the disciples and he says, pass this food out. <laughs> that amazes me. It amazes me that Jesus in that moment had faith in his disciples to do what he said because that was a big ask. It amazes me when we hear the story that Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. His sisters are both distressed. Because Jesus, if you just would have been here. And Jesus says, roll away the stone. And he looks up to heaven and he says, Father, I, I, I know you don't need me to talk to you. I do this so they can hear me talk to you. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. And here comes the dead man. Been dead three days. When's the last time you're amazed by Jesus? Amazed by the fact that he's still doing miracles today. That, that even now, I, I had a friend who went to do some training in Haiti for, for missions. Um, and while he was there, a, a TB epidemic broke out. And uh, he went to visit this clinic and while they were there, he, there was a woman there who had given birth the night before, but she had tuberculosis. And she was so far gone, they had simply cut the baby out of her and left her there on the table to die. That was the treatment because they had no treatment. And he went in and he kind of prayed very far off, he tells me. And then his, his trainer came in and he got right up in the woman's face. And he began to pray over her. He said the next day when they were walking through town, they were driving through town, and this woman comes running out of the clinic just trying to chase them down. And she says, I can't explain it, but this morning that woman got up and took her baby and went home. Her wound had healed itself. She was completely free of disease and she went home. Jesus still does miracles today. When we cease to be amazed by Jesus, we will cease to seek Him and we will cease to proclaim Him. The problem is we shouldn't be amazed 
There's a scientific reason for everything. I can tell you why that would happen. Okay, fine. But do you know the likelihood of that scientific thing happening? It's like five billion to one. That's still a miracle in my book. The truth of the matter is we have to be amazed. That time where we'll just sit back and go, wow. When we are not amazed by Jesus, we have lost a key to what it means to follow. Because the next thing we should do is we should ponder Him. It says Mary treasured these things in her heart. That's the wrong version for me that we read this morning. She pondered them. To ponder. She meditated on them. How often do you spend quality time in the Word? How often do you spend just pondering the One who is Jesus? How often do you spend meditating on the truths that He declares? Now, notice I said quality. Because we do live in a busy world. And there are times that you've got to get up and you've got to get going because the alarm didn't go off or something else was happening and you can't just stop right then. But when you have time to sit down and spend time in the Word, is it quality? Do you take the time to say, okay, God, I want you to speak to me this morning. The biggest, mistake's not the right word, but the biggest problem I had when I got saved was nobody taught me what it meant to spend time with God in the Word. So they were like, have a quiet time. What's that mean? Well, you read the Bible and you pray. No, okay. To a 15-year-old who wasn't raised in church, who didn't have parents who read the Bible and prayed, it's very easy to get up and say, okay, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall. My quiet time, I'm done in three and a half minutes, if that. But when we begin to spend time in the Word and allow the Word to penetrate our heart, it means that we've taken the time to stop and to take the noise of the world and put it out and to ponder. You know, I used to have a problem with the song Silent Night. Because <laughs> if you've ever been around a baby, they ain't silent. It's usually a messy night, right? They cry. They spit up. They have to be changed. But then I would get to this verse. But Mary pondered all these things. And you had this picture of a young mother who in the midst of the chaos of a stable and the shepherds and, and, and the star and the noise of a town that was full to the brim with people for a census who silently sits there holding her baby. And the noise falls away. There's a picture of me. Nick, you. It's one of my favorites. Ellen wouldn't like it because I didn't have a beard. But uh, it's the first time I got to hold Shiloh. When he came out, he was 32 weeks. It's a big 32 weeks. Almost six pounds and, you know, 20 inches. But 
30 minutes later, he went into respiratory distress, and they sent him to Odessa. So we were there for five weeks. And I remember that time. And I was so glad that somebody caught it on camera because in that moment, if you've ever been in a NICU, you know that room is not silent. There's beeps, there's breaths, there's babies, there's parents. But in that moment, there was me and there was my baby. And that's all there was. When's the last time you've pondered Jesus? The world gets silent. The news goes away. All of, the, all of the concerns of the world are gone. And it's just you and him in that moment of stillness and silence. Pondering what this all means. Believers should ponder him. Believers should also glorify and praise Him. Pondering would be the jingle, jingle of the little bell. This jingle, jingle. Ooh. There you go. Man, that's the, this is Jesus we're talking about. We, we glorify Him. We praise Him. We say things and do things that show that He is our King. The things that we speak should glorify Jesus. Now, that's, that's a heavy load when we think about it as we leave Christmas. The things that we speak, everything that we speak, should glorify Jesus. Carrie's grandma, Gammy, is what we called her. She would always say, when we went to say something, when you went, when you went to tell on somebody, is what it was. If you went to tell on somebody, it was, is that a good report? It's all she cared about. Not a good report, I don't want to hear it. Is it a good report? Is what you say glorifying? Is it uplifting? Is it what's going on? How often do we take part in cheap things, cheap conversations? Do we say things we shouldn't say? What we say should glorify Jesus. What we do, our actions... <laughs> should glorify Jesus. Or how about the things that we don't do should glorify Jesus. Now, does that make sense? The things that we restrain ourselves from doing. I'll come to confession now. One of the things that I try to work on, that I've been trying to work on, is not increasing my volume when the children are on my last nerve. It's called yelling, right? That's, I'm trying not to yell when, when the kids are on my last nerve. I, uh, have you ever tried that in, 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 a, in a group like that? It's hard, you know? I even had to post on Facebook last week when I was leaving Brother Kent's house when Shiloh caught his fingers in the door again and He's back there screaming and sister's screaming and mama's going, what? And I'm sitting here yelling, open the door! And I'm like, they probably heard me in the house. They're going to think, what kind of pastor is that out there? Oh my goodness. But no, those are the things, the things we restrain ourselves from doing. We, we make conscious choices to do, not do things. Are the things that we do and the things that we don't do, are they glorifying God? You know? 
that conversation that we choose not to have? Is that glorifying God? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Glorifying and praising Him isn't just us talking, isn't just us, us saying things. There's a quote that was attributed to Thomas of Aquinas who says, Preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Are you preaching the gospel with your, with your life? Are you preaching the gospel with what you do? Our sole point in living should be to glorify God. That should be our point. That should be what our goal is. The point of our lives is that Jesus should be an all-consuming fire. Is He at the center? Does He take everything? I mean, He should be burning everything. He should be what takes everything. He takes center stage. He does what needs to be done. If Jesus isn't an all-consuming fire in our lives, if He's not doing the things that, that we need to do, we, we shouldn't just look at Christmas as the time that we go, okay, now we're excited for Jesus. Christmas should simply rekindle the flame that we've been fanning all year long. He should be an all-consuming fire and taking part of every part of our life. When we wake up in the morning, Jesus should be the first thing on our mind. When we go to sleep at night, Jesus should be the last thing we think about. People think I'm crazy when I say, you know, maybe, just maybe, I don't do it every day, but maybe we should ask Jesus, should I wear this today? I've seen how some people dress. Some people should ask Jesus in the morning, should I wear this today? That's just the truth, especially in our culture, right? We need to find the fact that Jesus is important in every avenue that we live in, in every part of our life. And He should be that burning fire that, that, that fuels who we are. You know, Christmas shouldn't be this one-time event. Christmas shouldn't be this time where we go, oh, oh, Jesus is so great, the baby is so great, oh, oh, and then all of a sudden we're done. Don't. We shouldn't be... Christmas trees that burn brightly for a few weeks and then the light goes away. We should be like the North Star that's always glowing, that tells people the direction that they need to go. Because any sailor, anybody out in the middle of nowhere trying to find their way, if they can find the North Star, they can find their way if they know what they're doing. That's who we should be. Christmas trees are beautiful for a few weeks a year. But the North Star is beautiful and guides us year-round. Maybe this morning you have just not been in the Christmas spirit. You know, I don't know how many times I've seen the same post on Facebook this week that says, Christmas is four days away and I have zero Christmas spirit. Well, get over yourself. It's Christmas. Jingle, jingle, jingle. Man, it's exciting that 2,000 years ago Jesus came to love us like no other can. Maybe this morning you're sick of Christmas. Oh, I just wish Christmas would be over. Okay? Are you prepared to continue to sink him? Are you prepared to do all of these things? Because we should be the same way at Christmas that we are all year round. We should continue to do these things. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe there's some other need that I haven't even brought up. Now's the time to bring it.
But this morning, if you've never known Jesus as your Savior, if you've never taken a step to say, I want to know him, now's the time to do it. Just walk the aisle and say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus, and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now, and we thank you and praise you for your blessing.